Today we continue on with week three of our five-week series in the chapter of Romans number eight. We've been spending some time in that and just picking that apart. A really pivotal chapter, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And, and so we've kind of talked about how uh, at the beginning there's no condemnation, right? Even in the midst of our brokenness, we have freedom. And based on that freedom, we live according to the Spirit by the power of the Spirit. It's a really big deal. And I want to encourage you, if you've missed the first couple weeks, go back uh, and listen. You can go to fieldstonechurch.org slash audio. You can go to iTunes and search us there. Because the first week in particular kind of laid a foundation for the book of Romans and, and where this chapter fits in the entire narrative. Um, but the big theme has been no condemnation. We are free in Christ. If we are in Christ, we're forgiven and found perfect in His sight. And then last week we talked about how there's this, there's this new battle between flesh and spirit where it's, it's frustrating and yet it's encouraging, right? Because that battle only exists because we've always had our flesh, but now we have the Holy Spirit pulling us and guiding us and, and asking us to live according to His power. And because of that, there's this new battle. And so it's kind of an encouragement that if the battle exists... The Spirit exists because He's there creating the need for that battle to happen. And so in response to that, we're, we're called to immerse ourselves in the things of God and constantly be evaluating, okay, is that battle raging? Am I being pulled in the direction of God? Because that's the only way that would happen, right? And so, and so we're challenged to live a life worthy of that calling, live a life worthy of the reward, worthy of the gift that we've been given. But I think at times we find ourselves asking Okay, I'm, I'm trying to live a life worthy of the calling. I'm trying to live a life that's worthy of the reward. But is the gift, is the reward worthy of the calling? Is it worthy of the fight, right? It's like um, uh, something I have a lot of experience with, like your first pregnancy, right? That first kid. Now, I've never been pregnant. I've eaten too much pizza before, and you find yourself like, oh, this must be what it's like to be pregnant. <laughs> it, not even close. Come on, give me, all right, all right, maybe not, maybe not. Even when there's like gas cramps and stuff, maybe, right? So, so you're having your first kid and it's a joint effort, right? You've got new dad, new mom, and you're anticipating this thing. It's this miracle. It's this amazing gift. It's an honor to be called a parent. It's an honor to be given the opportunity to build a family tree or maybe, maybe be a healthy branch off an existing family tree. And we change everything around for that first kid, right? Some of you guys have had your first kid just in the last year. Brian and Mary, I'm up here like, uh, first kid, it's hard enough when I'm sick. Now I got this kid who's sick. And so in anticipation of this new child, we change everything around and we endure hardship. Ladies in particular, maybe you endure a little bit more hardship than we do in that process. I said maybe, right? It's hard. It's hard to adjust. And so we endure that on behalf of this new life, this new child. And for nine to ten months, we live a life worthy of this new gift, right? We, we try to live a life that's worthy of this new thing. You change your diet around. Your schedule gets crazy. You do all this prep of the house to get ready for the baby. Um, I remember with Kathy, the practical side for her, at, um, we, we're uh, sports people. We even like to golf. And at that time, when we, it was just the two of us, we would golf two to three times a week during the summer. We had a friend who worked at a course. We'd get out for free. It was great. And then she got pregnant. And every time we went golfing, her body was different. And that was a challenge. It was frustrating for her because golf is a hard enough sport as it is to not have a completely different body every time you go out on the course. And so you're adjusting and you're enduring some of these difficult things for the sake of this new life. And you sometimes wonder, I don't know if you did, but I, I spent times wondering, and I know Kathy did, as I'm living my life in a way that honors and represents the gift, 
is the gift, is the reward, is the light at the end of the tunnel really going to be worth all the difficulty? Like, is this going to be worth it? Why is it so hard? And maybe a more important question, will it be worth it in the end? It's a common question. It's an important question. It's a question I think we even ask on the spiritual side of things because that's how it feels sometimes. See, week one and two of this series, we said, all right, we're broken. Everything, like, like our lives are broken. There's sin. Culture is broken. But we're forgiven. But now there's this battle between flesh and spirit. And today, we discover in the next couple of verses that there's even more brokenness than we anticipated. It goes beyond just us and, and the sin in our lives. There's brokenness at every level of the universe. And so as we continue through Romans 8 and get into these next few verses, hopefully some more encouragement today in the midst of the frustration and brokenness that we discover. So uh, we're going to go to Romans chapter 8 where we've been, um, and we're going to jump into verse 18 which picks up where we left off last week. And so Paul says this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And if you go back to verse 17, the one before that, and the verses we hit last week, it talked about our status as children of God, as his heirs in Christ. It's sealed, right? We, we share in his glory, but at the same time, we share in Christ's struggle. See, Paul says we have present sufferings, and that's a mixture of uh, cultural issues. That's, that's a mix of potential persecution that comes along with following Christ. That, that's that struggle between flesh and spirit that we talked about last week, your old self and your new self. And so in many ways, life can be a mess. And yes, we're, we're living with no guilt. We're living with no condemnation. And yes, we're called to live by the Spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit. But that tension still exists, and it's messy. But verse 18 indicates that the promise from verse 17 that we are heirs, that we are children of God, and that status never changes, indicates that that promise, that inheritance, that glory is far greater than what we currently see and experience. But the question I need to ask this morning is, honestly, what are we experiencing? What are we experiencing? Because the people that Paul is writing this to in first century Rome They're under Caesar's thumb. To be a believer at that time is brutal. To call it unfriendly is a gross understatement. There's persecution. There's people being martyred. Go home and Google Nero and what he did to Christians in in that first century. And so you look at the things those people are enduring, their present sufferings, and you look at us and you think, what what are we really experiencing, right? Like, what, what difficulty are we facing and certainly it's not as crazy for us in our times, at least in our country, right? Because if I'm going to get up here and preach this passage in Iran, or if I'm going to preach this passage to the underground church in China, certainly this sermon takes on a different tone, a different application. We're talking about some different types of things. But there is an overarching issue that applies to us, even though it applies to us a little bit differently than it would to someone in first century Rome or in the underground church in China. It applies to all of us none the same. And so as we get uh, to the next verse, take a look at uh, Romans eight nineteen. So our present suffering is not even comparable with with the reward that's coming, with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation awaits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God." 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And so what Paul explains here in these few verses is that it's not just us who are broken. It's not just people. It's not just that our sin affects us. But everything is broken. Everything. You can apply that to the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom is savage. It is brutal. You watch the National Geographic for any amount of time, you discover it's pretty nasty out there when animals start intermingling, right? Uh, The ground is naturally bent towards weeds and overgrowth. If you're a gardener, if you manage a lawn, if you're a farmer, you understand this truth. You can go back to uh, Genesis chapter 3 and find out who's to blame for that, right? The, The ground is against us. One level of the earth's crust cannot get along with a different level of the earth's crust, right? Weather has become a natural predator of human beings. Thousands of people are killed by weather disasters every single year. And so present sufferings that Paul is talking about envelops every created thing. The entire planet, the entire galaxy, the entire universe is affected. Culture is affected. God-ordained institutions like marriage are affected. Morality is affected. Even our unborn children are affected by what is broken in the world around us. And it's amazing to think of the scope and the magnitude of the consequences of our sin that all-encompassing curse that resulted from our fall. And that's just the big stuff, right? That's, that's the macro stuff. We're talking about universe stuff, planet stuff, animal kingdom type stuff. And earthquakes and war are scary, but what about me? What about us? Let's go to Romans 8.23. So it's talking about creation. Creation is groaning. The universe is messed up. And it's feeling it, waiting for the children of God to be revealed. Verse 23, not only so, not only the macro, not only the big stuff, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. All of a sudden, it's personal. I read our bodies and it gets real in a hurry. Because your body is aging. Some of you felt it this morning when you woke up. Your body is aging. Our own bodies betray us. Some are fighting it now, right? Some of you are are, uh, trying to love on loved ones or have lost loved ones whose bodies betrayed them. And in devastating cases, we watch even our own children's bodies betray them. The only thing we can't scientifically eliminate is death. It comes for us all, right? It's visited your family before. It will visit your family again. It rips our hearts out and it diverts entire, fa- excuse me, it diverts entire family trajectories. Simply our physical bodies betraying us. But it's not just our physical bodies that are being betrayed. It's not just our physical bodies that are decaying. That word that he uses there for bodies. Now, The best definition of that word in this context is exactly the way we've been talking about, the physical bodies. Based on what he's saying, where he's going with it, the the definition, the human body, is the most accurate, correct definition of that word in this context. But that word can also be used to reference to the stars and the planets, heavenly bodies, as we've talked about before. The decay of our bodies, the decay of the heavenly bodies, and that word can also refer to a small or large number of people closely united into one society or family, a social, ethical, or spiritual body of people. 
So we're not only seeing, the, seeing and mourning the decay and the loss of our physical bodies, not only are we mourning the loss of the heavenly bodies where the universe is groaning, but we're seeing and we're mourning and we're frustrated over the decay and the loss of our communities and the relationships that mean the most to us. How many people have been devastated by broken relationships? How many have been devastated and affected by broken families? How many have watched their towns, their neighborhoods, their communities ripped apart and broken, sometimes by one or two major events and sometimes just slowly over time? But what we realize is that everything is broken and we long for that day when no one has to lose anymore, no one has to hurt anymore because the suffering isn't out there somewhere else. It's not just out on some macro level. It's on the micro level. Uh, It's not just some big faraway thing. It's right here. It's in your life. Everything is broken and it's very, very personal. And we can contrast that with what we see at the beginning back in Genesis chapter 1, the, the original plan for humanity, the original plan for, for planet Earth and for the universe where God says it was good. Seven times back in Genesis it says it was good. And God says it was that way in the beginning. That's the way it was meant to be. I'm bringing it around again. It's coming. But if we continue into Romans 8.24... It says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. He's asking us to wait for it and not just wait, but wait with hope. But Justin, why wait patiently, right? Like, I have struggles now. There's things that I'm facing now. I'm experiencing the decay as a result of sin. I'm seeing the world falling apart. My body is falling apart. My family is falling apart here and now. Why is it worth the wait even in the midst of the brokenness? Why, why is God asking me to endure the pain and the loss and the difficulty? Why is he asking believers around different parts of the world to endure fear and persecution? It's because you, living with hope, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of frustration, in the midst of bondage, in the midst of decay, in the midst of groaning, in the midst of pain. By the way, those are all words that are used in these set of verses, right? You living with hope in the midst of those things is part of God's plan to reveal himself to the world. That's where the hope part comes in. That's, that's that glory that will be revealed in us. So if you go back to verse 19 where it talked about that, for the creation waits in eager expectation for what? For the children of God to be revealed. Creation is groaning. Creation is waiting for us to be revealed to the rest of the world. It's waiting for the glory of Christ to be revealed in us, waiting for our adoption to finally be celebrated. We've accepted the solution. We've believed in Jesus. We've put our trust in him. We've received that forgiveness to the brokenness and to the sin in our lives. And we're striving to proclaim that truth both as a body and as individuals. And as the world watches and more and more senseless things happen in the world, whether they're weather-related or, or tectonic plates-related or just the brokenness of humanity-related. You always see people saying, you see the tweets, you see the posts saying, something's got to change, like someone needs to do something. What, what is going on? And someday it will be revealed that the solution was with them the entire time. Just as God is on display through the beauty and intricacy of creation, that talks about that in Romans chapter 1. 
that beauty is on display. And just like our brokenness is on display in the brokenness of creation, so the solution to brokenness is and has been on display through the sons and daughters of God. But for now, that solution remains a matter of hope. It's already on display in us, but the fullness fullness of that solution is not yet received. And it's on display for us, but even we as believers are asked to wait patiently for it to come out completely, for, for our bodies to be transformed, for our minds and our lives and our marriages and our communities to be completely transformed. But if believing and following was a light switch by which everything was 100% fixed, then there'd be nothing left to wait for. There'd be nothing left to hope for. And as it is, the process begins with our faith. It continues with our hope. And then God begins the work of bringing that about and promises to ultimately finish that good work in his time. And so God asks us to wait. He asks us to endure because everything might be broken, but healing is worth waiting for. Restoration is worth waiting for. Newness and reunions and resurrection, that fresh start, the peace, the answered prayer is worth waiting for. He's using your patience. He's using your endurance to preserve a vestige of hope for the rest of the world. Even though words like suffering and bondage and pain are used throughout the passage, so are words like glory and liberation and freedom and redemption. And those things are available. They are revealed in us and through us. It will be fully realized someday, but not yet. And he's using it to bring about glory for his name. And he's bringing others into the solution. And so his plan is worth waiting for. And if we wait with hope, he'll use that to impact others. And just like that first pregnancy where you're asking, is this right? Is it supposed to feel? Is it supposed to be this difficult? Is it supposed to be that like is it supposed to upset my life so much? Is it going to be worth it? He says, yes, it's going to be worth the wait. It's going to be worth the struggle. It's going to be worth the frustration. It's going to be worth the pain. But a couple things to keep in mind as we are enduring, as we're attempting to not only experience Christ, but live in hope that the things that we see around us are going to be fixed at some point, right? As we're attempting to do that, I want you to know that it's perfectly normal and understandable to feel like the crazy one. It's okay to feel a little bit nuts. Uh, read in one commentary, he said, as people who identify with the one, that's Jesus, as, as people identify with the one who came to overturn the values of the world, Christians will inevitably share in the rejection and trials that Christ himself experienced. Committed Christian living will always rub the world the wrong way at some point, and friction is inevitable. So whenever you find yourself thinking or feeling, that is just not right. That doesn't make any sense. How could they do that? How could they say that? How could they think that that is okay? What's going on? You've got to remember, it's broken. We're broken. Everything's broken. Sometimes it's personal, and creation is groaning for the fix. We as believers, those who have the Holy Spirit, are groaning for the fix. And we groan not in spite of having the Holy Spirit, but because we have the Holy Spirit, right? It's just like the struggle we talked about last week, where you're only fighting your flesh 
that battle only exists because the Spirit is inside of you creating that battle and pulling you in a different direction. The same thing applies here. We only recognize the brokenness because of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we see the tension, we see the issues, we see the mess around us, and we only see that, and we only groan for something better because we know what could be better. We know what could be. We know what should be. We know what will be. And with creation, we long for that to happen. And we do that all the while living in a world that not only isn't longing for what could be and should be, but in some ways is actively resisting what could be and should be and will be. That's why it's so hard. That's what we face, whether you're in the underground church of China or you're in first century Rome or in 21st century Milan, Dundee, Monroe County, right? That we all experience that same tension of knowing what should be, knowing what will be, but knowing not yet. Everything is actively moving in the opposite direction of where we're trying to move. All right, it's like uh, when I talk to um, sometimes it's teenagers who are dating or young couples who are dating and even talking about marriage, you start asking questions like, okay, are you both moving in the same direction? Have you talked about the foundation that you're laying, a foundation of faith and for family? Because you might want to skip over the tough stuff, but it's going to come up at some point. And even if you're just moving slightly in a different direction, it might be okay for now, but eventually the gap is going to widen and there's going to be an unhealthy tension that comes from you moving in slightly opposite directions. And sometimes you're moving in completely opposite directions and something's got to give. You're pulling in different directions and it's going to make it hard. And because of sin, because everything is broken, we are swimming against the current. We have a different view of this or that issue. We assign different value to this or that priority. We have different goals for this or that area of life. We have a completely different worldview. We have found different ideas of what, of what is and why it is and how it is and origin and meaning and purpose and eternity. And so it's okay to feel a little bit odd as a believer because you are. You're different. Heading in a different direction. So it's okay to feel like the crazy one because you have something and you're pursuing something and you're trying to live something that the rest of the world is not. And in fact, they're heading in a completely opposite direction. So with that in mind, knowing that you have something they don't, that you're seeing something they don't, that you're experiencing something that they're not, you also have to keep this in mind. As you interact with the broken world, as you interact with broken people, don't attempt to treat the symptoms. Treat the cause. See, the Bible makes a distinction between judging people inside the body of Christ and those outside the body of Christ. For believers, there's, there, now we're not going to hammer each other when we see anybody do something wrong. There's grace, there's forgiveness. That, that, that's how things work in the body of Christ. It's this amazing balance between truth and grace. And yet for believers, there's a certain level of accountability because if they claim to know Christ, they should be living like Christ or at least growing and maturing in that, right? It's, it's, it's appropriate to have a conversation in love if you've earned the right to have that conversation to say, hey, I know what you claim, I know, where you are. I, know, I know where you're coming from, I know what you say you believe, but I'm seeing this, I think it's hurting your testimony, it's hurting your family, it's hurting you, there's consequences. God has something better for you 
what do we need to do here? How can I come around you? How, how, how can I encourage you? How can I hold you accountable? I say this to, to people who get baptized because in my mind, if you're getting baptized and you're coming out and saying, I, I love Jesus, I want to serve him with my life, then I'm going to take that as an, also a statement of saying, hold me accountable to that. I'm going public with my faith, and so I want you to help me with that. And so there's a certain level of accountability that comes with being in the body of Christ. But then there are those who don't know Christ. When those people act broken, they're simply doing what people do who don't know Jesus. They don't have what you have. They don't see what you see. You can go back to Romans 3 that we talked about in the first week. Without Christ... They have no desire, and beyond that, no ability to live his way. And of course, we want our kids, we want our friends, we want our family members, we want them to live the best possible life. We want them to be healthy and safe and experience peace and joy and purpose. But in the midst of seeing the broken behaviors, in the midst of seeing the broken world and people around us, pray for and reach for and speak to their heart that they would ultimately come to know Christ because that is the cause. That's the root of the matter. You can fix circumstances. You can fix behaviors. You can change decision-making things and add some wisdom to their life. But ultimately, if the heart is not fixed, if Jesus is not in as a part of the equation, then none of the surfacey symptom stuff matters, right? It's got to be a heart. And so any attempt to fix them is a waste of time in light of eternity. Now, of course, if someone approaches a friend or family, if they ask you for advice, if they ask you for wisdom, then of course offer godly scriptural wisdom to let because that's, that's the best way to live whether you love Jesus or not. But don't worry about putting a smiley face on a broken heart. That's not going to fix anything. Start with Jesus. Start with the heart and go from there. And along those lines, kind of a practical application of that. In the midst of pursuing the heart, the cause versus the symptoms, you may have to sacrifice a winning argument, a winning post, a winning one-liner. You might have to experience a lack of health, a lack of safety, a lack of peace, a lack of wealth for the sake of the long-term goal, which is bringing people into a relationship with Christ. What argument would you be willing to fight and win at the expense of the gospel? And on the flip side, what debate are you willing to lose? What are, what are you willing to put up with? What are you willing to endure? What are you willing to groan inwardly about? What are you willing to experience in your life for the sake of eternity and the opportunity to one day earn the right to reach out and grab somebody's heart with the gospel? It's a difference in what we're seeing. Are we treating the symptom? Are we treating the outside? Are we treating practical side of life, or are we reaching for the core? Are we reaching for the heart? It's a struggle, right? And just like last week, where that, that tension that we're feeling here, seeing something that could be, seeing something that should be, trying to figure out, is this worth enduring? Is this worth the fight? Is this worth the struggle that I'm experiencing? We're asked to endure. We're asked to embrace the struggle and once again, we're asked to lean into God's promises and trust in his faithfulness because he says, I will bring about the solution to its fullest. I will complete the work. It will be a struggle at times. It will be personal at times. It might even cost you everything at some point. You might have to wait longer than you want to for everything to come to fruition, but it is worth it.
Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for this time together. And um, as we prepare to go out of here, out into um, a world that doesn't know you, doesn't acknowledge you, God is, is uh, putting a current in our faces that we're being asked to swim against. God, whatever we're facing, whether it's personal hardship, personal health issues, um, family struggles, family difficulty, pain and loss, or even some type of persecution, Lord, whatever you have allowed to come into our path, I pray that you would take it and use it. And as we wait for your solution, as we wait for you to complete your plan and complete your work, God, may we wait with hope, knowing that you've made a promise, knowing that you'll keep that promise. And God, I pray that you would take that hope, take that endurance, take that patience, take that long-suffering, and use it to bring others into a saving relationship with your son, Jesus. And God, we pray that you would get all the credit for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon.